Now, as we come to our time this morning and that very beautiful and powerful PowerPoint that we read this morning, we need to remember that Isaiah, obviously being a book of prophecy, and if you'll turn there now to Isaiah chapter 12, we need to recognize something. I think we often forget whenever we study the Bible. Now, the Bible is rich with information about Israel, yes. rich with information about the church, but the Bible isn't about Israel. The Bible isn't about the church. The Bible's about Jesus. Yes. And Jesus is God. Amen? Yes. So therefore, everything we read in the Bible from every book of the Bible is about God. Yes. It's about His plan. And we're not always going to be real happy with components of His plan. Because sometimes He says, I'm going to straighten you folks out. Amen. Did you go home? Where are you? Didn't he say that to Israel? And obviously I'm widely paraphrasing. And he has said the same thing to the church. If you go through, I want you to consider something. The only place where Jesus directly addressed the church himself is in the letters in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, the seven letters he wrote to Asia Minor. And what did he say? Repent, 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 repent. Why? Because you're messing up. <laughs> and sometimes the Bible tells us, hey, straighten this out. Get this right. And Isaiah is replete with those type of admonitions to the nation of Israel. Now, I'm saying this because as you study prophecy, you're going to run into the judgments of God. And sometimes they're pretty radical. I mean, read the book of Revelation. That's why a lot of pastors stay away from it, because it's radical. I mean, a quarter of the earth's population being destroyed a third of the earth's population is being destroyed, all the green grass being burned up, the uh, fresh water supply being poisoned, basically made bitter. I believe that indicates it's becoming radioactive. The strongest earthquake in the course of history happening in the book of Revelation. None of these things are going to make a congregation happy clappy. <laughs> They're all difficult things to read. But we also need to recognize that because the Bible includes the judgment of God, that it's the judgment of God that brings about honor to him and rewards those who are faithful to him. We find this in Hebrews 11:6, where we're told without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must, one, believe that he is, and two, believe that he is a rewarder of what? Those who diligently seek him. Actually, diligently seek is a repeated phrase. It's kind of like verily, verily. And it is underscoring a truth. And it actually says he is a rewarder of those who seek, seek him. Who are constantly seeking him. And we are seeking him today. Amen? Amen. Now, we live in a time and under circumstances that most of us believe could never happen in the United States of America. I think we're all shaking our head a bit. You know, it took me a long time to figure out on social media, I see all the young people, especially putting SMH. And I finally asked somebody younger than me, less than 35, <laughs> what that means. How many know what that means? Shaking my head. We're all shaking our head today, right? We're all wondering what on earth is going on in our nation that we all love yes. in our nation that we all love yes. and I'm thankful to be in a room full of patriots this morning 
we need to recognize that Isaiah is writing in the same type of scenario that we're experiencing. He's shaking his head. He knows the Babylonian captivity is coming. He is writing of the foretold judgment of God. And yet, even in the midst of this time where Israel was steeped in idolatry, there was a faithful few who held fast to the will and the commands of God, just like those who attend CCT. I thought I'd get a bigger amen than that. And our other brothers and sisters around the world as well. We're in those same circumstances today. Our nation is steeped with idolatry. Remember, idolatry is replacing God with anything. It doesn't have to be something like, like a statue of Buddha. It doesn't have to be that. It can be anything that you put in front of God. That's why Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the other things that we worry about all the time will be added unto us. And yet in Isaiah's time and beyond, there were people like him, like Jeremiah, like Daniel, like the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's, who in spite of what was happening in the world and in their country, they remained faithful to the Lord. Even in captivity, which we may translate as a lockdown. <laughs> Even in a lockdown, they stayed faithful to God, and we can too. Amen? Amen. Now, in chapter 12, we actually come to the end of a prophetic portion of the book of Isaiah that started back in chapter 7. In chapter 7, there was foretold the Assyrians coming into the land like a flood upon the land. They were told of judgments coming outside of the Assyrians being used as a tool against the northern kingdom or the kingdom of Israel. And yet in the midst of all of these things are interwoven wonderful reminders like, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a child. And that there was going to be a born child who is called mighty God, wonderful counselor. All these things were going to be told, and they were told that there is a Messiah who's called the branch, who is going to stand as a banner over his people and recover them from their captivities and even from the four corners of the earth, bring them eventually back into their land. Now, our chapter today, and therefore our PowerPoint verse, which is verse 2, is actually a hymn. It's a song that is meant to be sung, and that tells us no matter how dark the hour, Christians always have a reason to sing. We always have a reason to praise God. And this is a song that's going to be sung in that day. That particular phrase, that day, is associated with the last day, specifically the 70th week of Daniel or the tribulation period. And it talks about finally the child born and the son given, ruling from Jerusalem with a rod of iron all the nations of the earth. And might I add, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now, our title and our last visit to our word for the year, I was telling Terry uh, yesterday, I was uh, telling the Lord what his word for next year was. <laughs> Come on now, you've all done that. You've all told him what he ought to do, right? I was telling him, you know what? It needs to be conqueror. It needs to be victory. Yeah, see, you're on the same page as me. But you know what it is? I'm not telling you. Not until New Year's Eve. But it's finally landed that this is going to be our word for next year. And I'm excited about it, and you will be too. Now, our title is taken directly from our text with one little 
insertion, if you will. Now, I do want to say this. I'm not adding to the word of God because the titles of my message are not the word of God. They are titles of the message. But I used four words from our text and added some punctuation. Our title this morning is trust, comma, and not be afraid. We'll find that phrase in our verse, as we already read earlier today, trust and not be afraid, but the insertion of the comma makes it a formula. Trust, and what's the end result? You won't be afraid. Trust, and you will not be afraid, and therefore, this makes it an action-reaction type of statement. Now, we need to remember 2 Timothy 1.7 says that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. Even when things are crazy around us, we can have soundness of mind. Amen? Now, somebody said, you know, the Bible says 365 times, do not fear. Now, I haven't been able to verify that, and obviously one for each day of the year is their point, but I don't know that that's necessarily true, but I still like the idea. There's no day in which we need to fear or live under fear. Amen? Now, you ready for this? Jesus told us not to worry, but we do. The Bible tells us not to fear. You know what's coming. But we do. Now listen, we're not talking about natural or primal fears, things that are for our own safety or protection. There are certain things we have to be afraid of, right? Jumping off the roof of a building ought to be something that we're hesitant about. Right? Those are natural and normal fears. What we're talking about is fears that impact our spiritual and or emotional state and therefore drive us away from soundness of mind. Now, we can even recognize that where fear is present, trust is absent. Therefore, the opposite is true. Where trust is present, fear is absent. Now, listen to what King David said in Psalm 56, 3 to 4. Whenever I am what? Whatever I'm afraid. This is King David talking. The one who looked at a guy that was nine foot six tall when he was just a teenager and armed with only two sticks, a strap of leather between it and five stones in his pouch. And he said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine who defies the armies of the living God? That's what this kid says to this man of war. Now he says, whenever I am afraid... I will trust in you. In God, I will praise his what? I'm sorry, his what? His word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not fear what can flesh do to me. David wrote this about when he was captive in Gath, the capital city of the Philistines. Now get this. David winds up in Gath carrying Goliath's sword, the champion of the Philistines, and he had four brothers who lived in Gath also. So David was afraid. Now, to make a statement like trust and not be afraid, something we can cling to, like David did, he said fear was present, and he combated it with trust, that requires some substantiation, doesn't it? That requires some type of object to attach our trust to when fear is the driving force in our world today. Now, they're still trying to create fear in our country. COVID is real. Come on, we all recognize that, right? People get sick. People have died from it. We know that that's true. While, I'm sorry to admit this, but during worship, I thought, oop, I meant to check 
the Orange County Health Authority page, so I did. I checked it this morning. The governor said we're going to shut everything down because capacity and ICUs around the state have reached 85%. The number here in Orange County is 27%. There are 193 people in ICU beds. There are 793 ICU beds available in Orange County hospitals. The governor is lying. The governor is promoting the globalist agenda. And the governor is targeting churches specifically. There's no question about that. But God is on the throne. We still have have reason to sing and he is in charge amen so knowing all the things that are going on in our world knowing that fear is a driving force that is creating the actions of many today and the emotions of many today we add this to that from 2 Timothy 3 1 to 5 that know this that in the last days perilous times will come who needs that right for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of what? Good. Is God good? Yes. Headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. I hope you notice that these very things that make the last days perilous are the character attributes of those who control the media and social media and occupy places of political power in our day and like Isaiah tells Judah and Israel we need to recognize that though judgment is imminent and coming and the faithful are few and fading in our day there's a new day coming Amen. and it's even at the door so we can truly employ trust and the result being not being afraid. So let's learn some of the reasons we have to do that this morning after that surprisingly long introduction. So <laughs> would you stand and read with me, please, all of Isaiah chapter 12, a whopping six verses. This is a hymn, a song, and we'll break it down as we go this morning. Isaiah 12, 1. And in that day you will say, O Lord, I will praise you, though you were angry with me, your anger is turned away and you comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For Yah the Lord is my strength and song and has also become my salvation. Therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And in that day, you will say, praise the Lord, call upon his name, declare his deeds among the peoples, make mention that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry and shout, O inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel. Where? In your midst. We thank you. You're in our midst this morning, Lord. We're gathered here in your name, recognizing your sovereign will and purposes. And Lord, we pray that you would speak to us through your majestic word this morning that changes not and does not ever return void. So speak to us today. Remind us why we have reason to trust you, even in the midst of these darkening hours. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, we need to back up one verse just to see what the context is and what that day is that Isaiah is referring to. Chapter 11, verse 16 I, the prophet writes, and this ends the prophetic section, there will be a highway for the remnant of his people who will be left from Assyria as it was for Israel in the day that he came up from the land of what? Egypt. From Egypt. Now that's important. Keep that in mind. 
Now Isaiah says there's coming a day when Israel will be free from all its oppressors. And God will bring about this with a miracle of the magnitude of the exodus from Egypt when he created confusion among the Egyptians. Boy, is there confusion today? Uh, absolutely all around us. Remember, he parted the Red Sea and then he covered the pursuing Egyptians with the Red Sea that opened for the nation of Israel. We also need to note there is a wonderful crescendo that is presented in this hymn as it develops for us. Isaiah says as we move through the chapter that the people will say. Then he says, then the people will sing. And then he says, then the people will shout. And I hope that's what we're doing by the end of the service today. Amen? Yes. Now, he opens with this. It's kind of like uh, Ray Comfort says, it's the bad news that makes the good news better. Yes. He opens with the bad news. The Lord was angry with you, Israel. The Lord was angry with you. But when the anger of the Lord against his chosen people ceases, he's going to become a comfort for the believing remnant. Now, I think we would do well to remember the words of Jeremiah. Jeremiah lived in a time much like ours, where the righteous were relatively few, and he was among the faithful remnant who had not bowed to idols. Jeremiah said this in the cheerful book of Lamentations. In 321 to 26, he said, This I recall to mind, therefore I have what? Hope through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They're new every morning. Somebody say amen. amen. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Now remember, salvation can mean the salvation of the soul. It can also be translated as deliverance. Now, God knows everything that's going on in our state. He knows what's happening in our country. He knows what's happening all around the world. Now that means this. He sees how his name and his word and his people are being censored, and he's going to deliver us. Amen. And he's going to deal with our adversaries. Yes. And there is therefore reasons to engage trust as a weapon against fear and not be afraid. And Isaiah incorporates in his hymn a portion of the song of Moses recorded back in Exodus 15. I know you'll recognize it as we read it. It says, then and Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to who? Lord. To the Lord and spoke saying, I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed partially. How? Gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea, speaking of the Exodus. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. There's the portion that Isaiah includes. He is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of what? War. War. The Lord is is his name. Now this insertion into the song, or of the song of Moses, into the hymn of Isaiah, tells us that he is prophesying of something of the magnitude that happened at the exodus from Egypt with the children of Israel. Now I'll remind you in Revelation 14, 3, we're told they sang, as it were, a new song before the throne. Who's on the throne? Jesus. The Lord. 
They sang a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders, and no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. Now, what nation could learn the meaning of though you were angry, your anger has turned away and now you comfort me? Israel. It's only Israel. What nation in the course of human history is going to experience an exodus-type deliverance from their enemies other than Israel? How many nations has God called his chosen people? Now, the church is chosen people as well. But there's only one ethnic group that God has dubbed his own chosen people, who he set or chose to set his love on them to give them the oracles of God or the writing of scripture and also bring his Messiah for the whole of the world through. And that is the nation of Israel. And only those who experience what is written in this deliverance or about this deliverance can sing the song that we just mentioned. But remember, the Bible's about God. Right. Amen? Amen. And he doesn't change. Right. Now that means that there is application from the song of the redeemed for you and I, at least in principle. Now think about this. God was angry with the nation, right? Didn't he say that? Didn't Isaiah open? He opens a song with you were angry at us. Now let me give you a verse to our song this morning. Colossians 1, and 23 says, And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by what? Wicked works. There's the bad news. You ready for the good news? But now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death or through the death of Christ to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now, we were enemies of God because of our wicked works, right? Psalm 7, 4 says God is angry with the wicked every day. So we also need to remember in Christ we're no longer enemies. Hello? In Christ we are no longer enemies, which I would have to say that's pretty comforting. So for Isaiah to open up the way he did, it's the same way we need to understand what God has done for us. We were enemies by our wicked works. Enemies in our minds, but... He has reconciled us by Christ's physical body through death to present us holy in the sight of the Father. That's very comforting. And therefore, the Lord is our strength. The Lord is our reason to sing. He is our song. Amen? Amen. Our point is this. For the redeemed of Israel and for all who believe, this is why we should and can trust and not be afraid. Listen this morning. The fullness of our salvation is about to come to pass. The fullness of our salvation is about to come to pass. Now, are we fully saved right now? Yes. Well, of course we are. Our soul is completely saved in the here and now, but our body still lives under the wages of sin, which is proven by every Christian who dies. People still die today, right? Yes. Christians still die today, right? Yes. We are not going to experience a second death, however. Yes. Now... We do not yet experience the fullness of our salvation. We have days where we don't sing. There are days where we don't sing the song of the redeemed. We have days where we don't even feel very saved. Come on, does anybody know what I'm talking about here? 
We have days where we don't feel very saved, yet it's the blood of Jesus that brought us back from the law of sin and death, and there is no way to limit the atoning power of the blood of Jesus. We have times where our bodies remind us that we're living in a fallen world. Yeah, I heard some elderly amen there, which I would include myself in. We're uh, getting older every day. Even you young people are getting older every day. Somebody said, you know, the day a baby's born, they start to die. I don't like that sentiment, do you? That's an ugly thing to say, but it's true. We start a march towards death, don't we? But indeed, someday we're going to be alive forever and forever be with the Lord. Now, here's why we can trust and thus not be afraid. Philippians 3, 20 to 21 says, Our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, in case you're wondering who the Savior is, who will transform our lowly, tired, aching, creaking, hurting, I don't know why it takes me so long to get out of bed, body, that it may be conformed to his what? Glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself, which would include death. Someday, we're going to experience the fullness of our salvation. Someday, we're going to live in a time where there's no more death. There'll be no more fears. There'll be no more spiritual or physical or emotional weaknesses, only joy forever when our salvation is fully realized. When is this going to happen? I hope you're asking that question. When is this going to happen? Well, after Israel becomes a nation, having been dispersed or diaspora among the nations for nearly two millennia. It's going to happen before the nations of the world gather against Israel, including the United States, and God is going to fight as he fights in the day of battle against those nations, according to Zechariah the prophet. How does he fight? Look back to Egypt. Yeah, I've always found it interesting that there are those who look at the book of Revelation and try and insert nuclear weapons and try and insert biological weapons, and they insert all this. God doesn't need anybody's help. Right. Hailstones burning with fire thrown from heaven that weigh 100 pounds each. Seems to be pretty sufficient uh, to bring about the fullness of his wrath. Amen? Amen? Now, he's going to fight as he fights in the day of battle like he did in Egypt, and he is going to deliver the believing remnant of Israel in a manner comparable to the parting of the Red Sea in magnitude. So, we can trust and not be afraid. For the promised redemption of our bodies is near, and I would say it's even at the door. Amen. And what's going to happen seven plus years after that is the redemption of the remnant of Israel. Now, let's look at verses four and five of this beautiful hymn. And in that day, you will what? Say, say the praise the Lord, call upon his name, declare his deeds among the peoples, make mention that his name is exalted, next word, verse 5, sing. sing to the Lord, for he has done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. And you can see the crescendo beginning to build in these beautiful verses. Isaiah prophesies here, in that day you will say hallelujah. That's the Hebrew word for praise the Lord. 
In that day, you will call upon his name. In that day, you will declare his deeds. In that day, you will mention that his name is exalted. In that day, you will sing to the Lord for the excellent things that he has done. And in that day, all the earth is going to know about it. I have to say, that day is going to be better than these days. In our day, his name is blasphemed. In our day, his name is belittled. In our day, his name is besmirched. In our day, I had to use that because I needed four Bs just because I wanted to. In our day, his name is banned. But not in that day. And Jeremiah says in 33, 14 to 17, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will perform that good thing which I have promised to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah, the divided kingdom. In those days and at that time, I will cause to grow up to David a branch of righteousness. He shall execute judgment and righteousness in the earth, pointing back to Psalm 2. In those days, Judah will be what? Saved. Saved. And Jerusalem will dwell safely. And this is the name by which she will be called the Lord our righteousness. Who's the branch that's going to sit on the throne of David in Jerusalem that has been non-existent and therefore vacant for some 2,500 years? Who's the branch that will cause the saying, singing, and shouting to his great name in that day? It's Jesus. Amen. Amen. And someday there will be a remnant of Jews who come to faith in Christ as Savior and Lord. And it will happen at the end of the tribulation when Jesus appears in the sky with the church, then steps on the Mount of Olives. It splits into a 35-mile wide valley, and the nations will recognize that he is the Lord as he fights for all the nations that gathered against Israel and Jerusalem. Listen, it's almost that day. That's why we can trust and not be afraid. Now, here's the point. Listen this morning. God receives glory through the deliverance of his people. God receives... I almost stopped to laugh there for a minute. It sounded like a preacher there for a minute. God receives glory (laughs) through the deliverance of his people. Amen? Amen. In that day, the praise he deserves, the declaration of his deeds, the exaltation of his name is finally going to be known in all of the earth. Now think about this in past history. In Exodus 7, 5, the Lord said, after what he's going to do, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from from among them. God receives glory through the deliverance of his people. Amen? Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Ezekiel 38.16 says, You will come up against my people Israel like a cloud to cover the land. Speaking of the coalition of nations that has already formed today, headed by Russia, followed by Turkey, Persia, Sudan, and Libya. It will be in the latter days that I will bring you against my land so that the nations may know me when I am hallowed in you, O Gog, before their eyes. Ezekiel 38, 21 to 23 says, I will call for a sword against Gog throughout all my mountains, says the Lord God. Every man's sword will be against his brother, and I will bring him to judgment with what? Pestilence. Pestilence 
and bloodshed. I will rain down on him, on his troops, and on the many peoples who are with him, flooding rain, great hailstones, fire, and brimstone. Why? Thus, or through these things, I will magnify who? Myself. Myself. And sanctify who? Myself. Myself. And I will be known in the eyes of many nations. Then they shall know that what? I am the Lord. Through what? Through his deliverance of his people, Israel. Someday the whole earth is going to be filled with the glory of the Lord. Amen? Amen. When? When he delivers his people. And remember, the stage is being set for the Ezekiel War right now. And the church will not be present when God responds to the invasion. Now, I think because we read it in a couple of chapters, we think this war is going to last for 15 minutes. Who knows how long the war is going to last? Now, I'm asking you, who knows? No, we, none of us know, right? But here's what I do know. The divine response is consistent with the other things that happened during the tribulation. So what we just read there in Ezekiel 38, where the Lord rains down, flooding rain, great hailstones, fire, and brimstone, that's going to happen during the tribulation, the 70th week of Daniel, when God again begins to defend Israel, as he did at the exodus of Egypt. Now, we're going to be out of here. Amen. So if the players are lining up, mm -hmm. I say we ought to trust and not be afraid. Amen? Amen. His name is going to be exalted above all others. Listen, God's name will no longer be minimized to equal as the heads of other religions. His name is going to be exalted above all names in all of the earth. Now, Revelation 5, 1 to 5 reminds us, and I saw John speaking in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel. Boy, I want to see this guy, don't you? <laughs> a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and loose its seals? And no one, say no one. No. no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth, speaking of those who have ever lived and died, was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So John wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at, look at it. But one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. Now, because this was obviously an official document, many, I would even say most scholars believe that actually this document is the title deed to the earth. Who has redeemed the earth? No human being, only Jesus. How did he redeem the earth? He redeemed it by his own blood, and therefore he has prevailed to open the scroll and loose its seals. Now, we all, we're also told about this one, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, in Philippians 2, 9 through 11, that God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those where? In heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. What's the purpose of this confession? Yeah. 
to the glory of God the Father. Listen, when God delivers his people, the world's going to know that he is God. We are his people. Israel is God's people. And we're going to be delivered from the tribulation. And Israel will be delivered through the tribulation. And the end result is every knee bows and confesses that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. Listen, this is going to happen and no one and nothing can stop it. I think we can trust. And not be afraid. Let's look at verse 6 and then we'll settle down. Well, no, we can't. Now we have to cry and shout. O inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in your midst. I say, I have to say this crescendo is magnificent as we consider that in that day they're going to say, oh Lord, I will praise you. In that day they will sing of the excellent things he has done. In that day we will shout or they will shout, great is the Holy One of Israel in our midst. Now pay close attention to Revelation 21, 1 to 7. John says, now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Peter tells us it'll be burned up with a fire. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, or looking beautiful. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. Isn't the promise here to be in the midst of Israel with the Holy One of Israel? God will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. Amen. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Same elements that are recorded here in Isaiah's song. The Holy One of Israel dwelling with men, comforting them by wiping away tears, pain, and sorrow. All things made new, a fountain of water of life available to the inhabitants of Zion or the new Jerusalem. Someday, we're going to see the Holy One of Israel face to face. Someday, we're going to see him as he is. I have to say the Holy One of Israel is one of my favorite messianic titles. I, I like how Daniel refers to God as the ancient of days. I think that needs to be said with James Earl Jones' voice or Tony the Tiger's voice. The ancient of days. What a, what a title for God or one who dwells outside of time is the meaning of that. But Isaiah favors the Holy One of Israel as a messianic title. It's found 31 times in the Bible as a whole. 27 of those, those 31 times are in Isaiah alone. 
He's the unchanging God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And one of these favored titles used by Isaiah that he bears in the Old Testament tells us since he doesn't change, he is still the Holy One of Israel. That means since he doesn't change, he's still the Holy One of Israel. It eliminates every effort to dismiss the everlasting covenant that God made with Israel and their land and replace them with the church. Because in that day, a remnant of Israel is going to see the Holy One of Israel as their Messiah. Now, Zechariah 12.10 tells us, I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. Now some say, wait a minute, Paul said in Romans, all Israel is going to be saved. And they are, because Zechariah says two-thirds of the Jews are going to die during the tribulation. So all surviving Israel will be believing, believing Israel, and one-third are going to look upon him whom they pierced and mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. What did Jesus say in the Beatitudes about those who mourn? Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be... God was angry with Israel, but he's going to comfort them. He's going to comfort the remnant when they look to Jesus and recognize he is and always has been their Messiah. Obviously, mourning represents godly sorrow or repentance at the grievous error of their ancestors of nationally rejecting Israel. God's still saving Jews today, right? I've got a friend who's saved, a guy named Amir. I think he's saved. He's in, right? But listen, as the church, we need to remember this. John 3, 1 to 3 says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, because it didn't know Him. But, beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed, oh man, listen to this, we shall be like Him. For we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this open hand purifies himself just as he is pure. Do you remember the thing about God receiving glory for delivering his people? Remember our last point? It wasn't that long ago. But listen this morning. Here's our final and concluding point. If God loves us enough to save us, we can trust he will defend and deliver us. If he loves us enough to save us while we were yet sinners, then he certainly, and we can trust him, to defend and deliver us. Now, obviously, that's a biblical truth that we all recognize, even though it feels like sometimes it's not going to happen. But it is. Right? It is. But the truth is, the world is not winning. Come on. The world is not winning. The king is coming. And the truth of the matter is, he's going to come and meet the church in the air with the dead in Christ. And then he's going to come back to the earth with the church, and he's going to rule and reign in righteousness for a thousand years. Now, just like Isaiah opens his hymn, Jesus said things are going to get real bad and then better forever. He said times would be perilous, but that doesn't mean he's forgotten or forsaken us. It just means we're going home soon. Amen? 
He's going to come and clean this place up in his wrath. And then he's going to run the world as if it was meant to be run all the time for a thousand years. There is going to be a great reset. But George Soros and Bill Gates have no part in it whatsoever. Listen, these clowns... Oh, I'm sorry, did I say clowns? I didn't mean to say clowns when I was talking about George Soros and Bill Gates. But those clowns... If they think they're going to be running things during the tribulation, they got another thing coming because it's the Antichrist who's going to be ruling this world. And he doesn't need them, nor will he want them. He won't allow for any competition. Matter of fact, during the tribulation, he's going to kill every Christian who is filled with the Spirit of God, anointed with the power of God, who has the true message that his end is going to happen and he's going to be destined for the lake of fire some day. There is coming a great reset yeah. but it's going to be when Jesus comes yeah. again and handles things the way they need to be handled we're moving towards that day that Isaiah wrote of and we need to remember what Paul said to the Romans in 510 he said for if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his son much more having been reconciled we shall be what Saved by his life. Is Jesus alive? Yeah. He's seated at the right hand of majesty on high as our intercession before the Father forever until he comes to get us. Now listen, we can expect to be saved since Christ is still alive and risen from the dead. And in this context, saved means to be delivered and protected by his life. Our soul is saved by the blood of Jesus. And as our Savior, he's coming to get us. Amen. Didn't he tell that to his disciples? The night before he was going to be wrongfully arrested, wrongfully tried, the, the Pharisees broke their own laws when they gave Jesus his mock trial and reached a verdict without witnesses being brought forward on Jesus' behalf. But listen, he told his disciples the night before, the same night that he was betrayed, listen, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I'm going to prepare a place for you, I'm going to come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, you may be also. And then he said this. I, I love this conversation. He said, and where I go, you know, and the way I go, you know. And Philip said, we have no clue what you're talking about. <laughs> so Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. Listen, if he promised to come and get us, he's coming to get us. So in the midst of all we're experiencing today, don't be afraid. It's just time to go home. Amen. Come get us, Lord Jesus. Somebody say Amen. And Father, we are grateful for our word this year, for teaching us how to trust. And Lord, what an incredible word for us to study every first Sunday of every month of the year in a year like we've had so far. But Lord, we thank you that there is hope to be found. There is reason for us to trust and not be afraid, even in the midst of all we see today. So, Lord, we're grateful that you yet remain unwilling that any should perish in these perilous times, but that all would come to repentance. And, Lord, that includes people who are acting as adversaries of the church today. We thank you that you can save Gavin Newsom.
thank you that you can save Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, all those acting so aggressively against not just our country, but against your church. So we pray, God, that you would move in a mighty way. We ask you for their souls. We ask that you would deliver those who are drawn towards death, that you would somehow, God, get into their head and ears the saving message of the gospel through some believer. We thank you that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And we know, therefore, the devil is behind any attempt to shut down the hearing of the word of God. So, Lord, we pray that as we stand fast and strong in these last days, along with our other sister churches around the world, no matter what name may be on the outside of the building, Lord, every church filled with born-again believers, Lord, I pray for your protection over them. I pray that you would embolden them. And, Lord, as Acts talks about, and when they had prayed, the place they were in was shaken. And the Holy Spirit moved among them, and they all spoke the word of God with boldness. Help us to speak your word with boldness in these last days and trust and not be afraid. So we're thankful for the times in which we live. We're thankful for the message you have given us. We thank you that the implanted word, which is able to save men's souls, is still going forth today, even though there's a relatively few uh, by comparison uh, to those following the world in these last days. But we thank you. Your word still prevails. And may it grow mightily in these days. And use us in those capacities, we pray. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.